one or two years after Opus 101, Beethoven wrote this magnificent work, the greatest of his sonatas, certainly the most monumental. And he knew that he was, he was writing something extraordinary, something unprecedented, and that would keep, keep us pianists and music lovers busy forever. Mm. Dedicated to the famous Archduke Rudolf, like many previous sonatas have been, and it is a work that everybody respects and reveres, but very few people love. Mm. I want to confess a deep love for this piece, and I hope that there are several of you who, who share this enthusiasm, and those who don't, let me try to convince you. <laughs> uh, this is a piano sonata that really had been at the center of the repertoire since Franz Liszt played it. He was the, the first who really could master it, and then there is still the great legend that Liszt's delivery of this sonata had been really one of the miracles in the history of music. And later, many people played it and tried to play it, but I think there is a tradition of this sonata which is very monumental, and I wonder if, if that helps to our understanding and I think it, it brings a lot of misunderstandings. Let me try to be more clear. And this is the only sonata of Beethoven's where we have his metronome marks. Now, the metronome is this silly ticking instrument that tries to tell you to play in time. Uh, but as we said before, Beethoven was really concerned that as he could no longer play, that he wanted to be sure that people played his music correctly. Uh, he gave metronome marks to, to this sonata, which are incredibly fast. Uh, to the first movement, which goes... The minimum equals 138. It's virtually unplayable. <laughs> and everybody agrees that it's virtually unplayable, but, but people said that, yes, it's unplayable because Beethoven's metronome was wrong. <laughs> and and let's, uh, let's ignore Beethoven's metronome and play it like this. And that's, that's the way most of you know this sonata, admit it. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, and Beethoven writes allegro, so it's a tempo ordinario, but it's alla breve, so you count two in a bar. Pam, patam, patam, pam, tram, patam, patam, pam. You don't count one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, pam, 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 pam. Even my great idol, 
Edwin Fischer writes in his lovely book about Beethoven sonatas that, yes, this metronome mark is completely wrong, and there is a sketch of a Beethoven cantata in honor of the Archduke Rudolf. And there we find the words, Vivat, Vivat, Rudolphus. So you can not sing Vivat, Vivat, Rudolphus at that speed, but only Vivat, Vivat, Rudolphus. Yes. <laughs> but to my great satisfaction, about four weeks ago, I was in, in Vienna at the Musikverein, and I could have Beethoven's metronome in my hands. And I swear to God that it works. <laughs> it's, it's nothing special. It's just like any metronome. I have one like that at home. I, I bought that in, in Czechoslovakia 40 years ago. And both of them, they beat yambically. Pam, papam, papam, papam. <laughs> Not equal. But, but as far as the speed is concerned and the numbers, they are really correct. And, and so, why I spend so much time on, on such detail like metronome marks? Because metronome marks don't make music. And Beethoven said that I give these metronome marks, but they are actually only valid for the first bar of the piece. <laughs> and. Uh, he, has, he, he wanted to interpret music freely and, and eloquently. But to, be, to play this movement at Beethoven's metronome mark, more or less, Fermata, where I stopped, and then he slows down. He, he, and then it's a tempo again. This is a, a revolutionary, explosive music. It's not something uh, um, pesante and, and heavy-handed and, and, and what's a good word for schwerfällig. So it's not made of lead, because uh, uh, if I play the same passage. Boom, It's ponderous. It's uh, it's it's uh, it's the wrong piece. It's a different different idea. Um, the second movement has a tempo that that most performers keep strict. Uh, another big problem is the the adagio, one of the great slow movements of of all times. And there, Beethoven's metronome mark is 92 to the quaver. It's an adagio in 6 8. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Whoa. Boom, boom, 
this is a huge movement. It takes more than a quarter of an hour to play. And, but in Beethoven's wonderful tempo, it flows. It does not stop all the time. It doesn't fall to, to bits and pieces. Usually, great pianists of the past and present play this in, in a very one, two, three. Oh, we are very deep and profound, no? <laughs> and then you can have lunch and dinner and <laughs> breakfast, and we are still sitting here. So, look, all I'm trying to say is that, that Beethoven is a very, very great, one of the greatest composers. If he writes something, like metronome mark to he takes the trouble then let's take him very seriously at least give it a try let's not just say that it's 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 wrong and um it's it's wrong to try to be more clever than the composer so that was the question of the of the metronome and i think if you if you play this piece at be at Beethoven's tempi, then it's not ponderous anymore, and then you will discover that there are elements of dance, there are elements of humor, and this is not a piece in marble. It's not, not like a Michelangelo sculpture. Some of it is, but, but it's, it's incredibly human and, and alive and timeless. Now, Let's just go through some of the details. I cannot talk about everything. There are two main thoughts in the Hammer Klavier Sonata. One is the interval of the third, as I mentioned before. Everything is built on the third. Yes. Or an, an enlargement of the third a tenth. Already, that's this jump is a tenth. While I speak of this jump, this Beethoven wrote this for the left hand alone. Your, your right hand is doing nothing. It's very difficult, it's very easy to miss. So, what do pianists do? They play it with two hands. Very simple, or even like that. <laughs> this is disgusting. <laughs> because, I mean, it's, it's, it's really cheating, because this is not, not, a, not an act of sport, but Beethoven wants to express here tension and, and something impossibly difficult. You've got to take risks. If you miss it, you, then it's human. I mean, it's, it's not, I don't think that Beethoven played the piano in a, in a manner like competition winners do today, that no mistakes and no wrong notes. I mean, he couldn't have cared less, but he, he took risks. And you have to take this risk. Yeah. Again, the pedal is down for, for these two fanfares. 
Uh, and I believe Edwin Fisher's story about the Vivat Vivat Rudolphus, but think of a mass demonstration or, or when thousand people sing together, Vivat Vivat Rudolphus, it sounds like brrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
then he repeats the exposition. So you see there are many layers here, and there are also very lyrical themes like this. Or this one. And then again G, A, B flat, you have a, a third, and then this, this our leading motive of Rudolphus, Vivat Rudolf. Yes. Um, then let me go on to the development section. Instead of G, A, B flat, B natural, and then so two sequences of third, and comes now a section like pre echoing the ninth symphony. have the third and we have now Rudolphus in E flat you remember this half an hour ago I played it this fugato which was in the finale now he pre-echoes the last movement of this sonata, which will be a gigantic fugue, but already we have here in the development section a foretaste of it. There is an element of, of this dancing dactyls, yam pa pa pam pa pa pam pa pa pam pa pa pam, like you know from Bach's fugues or from the Brandenburg concertos, and it's not something pesant and ponderous. Um, let's just play it a little more.
again this deconstruction you only have the rhythm in the end papam 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 and uh, again we went through endless sequences and chains of of third and so we are on this d major that we heard before so he stops on this and this is an incredible change uh, i mentioned there were two main thoughts one was the thirds and the other is the just exposition of b flat and b natural uh, b, b flat the the tonic of the sonata and and b natural is the just exposition i mean you you, you cannot go tonally further away from from that so that's what we have here B major For this section Beethoven instructs us to play con, con gran espressione and when he writes that he means a little bit slower Rodolphus comes back with a fury. And now let's listen to him how he brings back uh, the recapitulation. includes a passage that has been the subject of, of endless disputes between musicians. It's this passage. Now what comes here? Uh, the previous passage was in, was in, in B major. So... Uh, and it has five sharps and B flat has two flats and there is no manuscript of this sonata unfortunately it has it has gotten lost uh, now whether Beethoven wanted here an A sharp or an A natural uh, there are different opinions <laughs> um, I play it for you now with A natural slowly sharp I played it in my young years with a natural today I feel quite convinced that it's a sharp because it's more 
unusual, it's more revolutionary, and this is not a normal sonata. Why should there be something conventional in it? And really, Edwin Fischer says it rightly, that had Beethoven wanted uh, the A natural, then he would have had eight possibilities in the two penultimate bars to, to write it down. I mean, you can forget an accidental once or twice, but you cannot forget it eight times. So, let's move on to the second movement, which is like a breath of fresh air. It's the only time when we can breathe a little bit, because it's, it's a lighter movement. Let me play a little bit. time, Beethoven writes the metronome mark for the dotted minimum 80. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one. But it starts with an upbeat. Three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And there is a little crescendo, decrescendo, little hairpins in each phrase. And we have two seven-bar phrases, very unusual. Uh, seven, seven, and then eight-bar phrases. Seven, seven, eight, eight. Again, I don't have to say it again, but you listen to the thirds. It's a third, and that's another third, inverted. It's nothing but thirds. Um, then, after we heard this both sections twice, then comes a, a trio, which is in B-flat minor. Uh, it, the, the main part finishes with these two strokes. And the trio starts with the same strokes in piano, but in the bass. Here is pop, pop. And again, it's, in a, it's a canon. Now, the, the bass starts the, the melody and the, the right hand imitates. And instead of conventionally coming back to the main part, we have a further section, which is, as my teacher, George Kurtag, said, this is like, like a chardash. Ooh. 
da capo. Uh, again, this, the, this is funny because Beethoven goes from the lowest note to the highest of the keyboard. It's like a mini earthquake, but don't get too scared. And then. I don't want to force my views on you, it's because uh, <laughs> it's really, it's a wonderful thing about music that it's free association. I mean, you can each feel something different and think something different. It should not be uh, forced on you. But the main thing is that uh, to, have, to have ideas, to, to have thoughts, and uh, it's, it's not just notes, <laughs> that's for sure. So, uh, then the end of this movement shows again the, the conflict between B-flat and B-natural. <laughs> See, we have the final two strokes, and the B, B natural comes. Maybe you are not right, no? Yes, B flat. No. And and then again, the B flat is enharmonic with A sharp. Now Beethoven, you hear B flat, but and then. But he writes A sharp, then comes yeah, the, the, our scherzo motif with the bass together gives the, the B minor harmony. And then he repeats it and gets into an ecstasy, a madness. Corrects it back to B flat. And three times, twice you have your usual hairpins, and the, and the last time it's piano, pianissimo. And now comes. Again, una corda, what I told you about a few minutes ago, with in 101, just one string. So it's, it's a muted sound. This adagio is, is the greatest slow movement in, not just in Beethoven, not just in piano music, but I, I don't know anything comparable. It's the deepest and profoundest uh, description of, of pain and despair. Uh, now, originally Beethoven would have just started this movement with the F-sharp minor chord. Which is very beautiful by itself. But as an afterthought, he added the first bar. 
which is really a stroke of genius, because he, he not just introduces the, the mood of this movement, but again he shows us this, the step of the third, how everything is connected. And also, if I play... He goes in very long paragraphs. It's, this is again in, in 6 8, Adagio. And what we had in the other movements, the conflict of B and B flat, here that we have between F sharp and G, when we have the. This is the only time with this G major, this Napolitan, when we have a sense of light in the, in the darkness. Now, the first part of this movement is in a speaking manner, speaking mood and rhetorics. Now, the second part will become very almost operatic. The una corda is finished and he raises the whole keyboard. You have. So again, something new, a yearning. Con gran espressione, Beethoven writes again, with, with great expression, and it needs more space and more time. Yes, so 
this adagio is gigantic and it's in sonata form without repeat. Uh, let me just show you a little bit of the development because you can follow the steps of thirds which are now in the in the melody part. Dozens of thirds there have been. And then we stop on this dominant, and then comes the recapitulation of this adagio, which is, which is one of the most beautiful set of variations that. From, from the last string quartets where the first violin plays these wonderful fiorituras, but underneath we have a very steady pulse. <laughs> 